0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest today is Rebecca Telles-Higgins, who is Director of Research at Discovery Networks in the U.S. Hispanic Group. Today we will discuss the network's Mi Mundo es en Español study. Rebecca is charged with providing insightful and actionable research strategies for all divisions of the company while at discovery she was a cable beacon award winner with the discovery u s hispanic groups moving forward an in-depth look at issues facing hispanics today with interviews of twenty one key hispanic and non-hispanic thought leaders most recently she championed an extensive research study using varied techniques quantitative qualitative focus groups and ethnography to communicate a comprehensive look at the discovery and Español viewer the study we will be discussing today And it can be found at MiMundoS.com. Prior to discovery, she was a web brand consultant for Liberty Mutual, estimated to be the eighth largest insurer in the world. At Liberty Mutual, Rebecca was in charge of LibertyMutual.com. She and a team of designers relaunched the site and increased web traffic by over 100%. In order to truly understand the user's experience, she was responsible for the analysis of all site traffic, which included measurement on and offline, including analysis of weblogs, online surveys, focus groups, phone surveys, and other field studies. Rebecca, welcome. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. This is a really great opportunity, Rebecca, I think because it gives us a chance to talk a little bit about Discovery and the Hispanic audience that you're reaching through Discovery in Español. So before we launch into the study itself, would you tell us a little bit about Discovery Networks in general? What are they? What, what are the networks? And um, from there we can go forward to the Spanish language uh, portion.
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to. As you know, Discovery, um, Net- Discovery Communications is the number one media, per- media brand in the world. And it encompasses many brands, such as Discovery uh, the Learning Channel (TLC), Animal Planet, Military Channel, and one of the components that uh, we offer is Discovery in Español, which is the network's um, first Spanish language offering or the company's first, first Spanish language offering. And in addition to F- Discovery in Español, we have also launched a new brand called Discovery Familia, which will be our second Spanish language offering.
0: The Discovery Familia is that has already been launched.
1: Uh, Yes, that was launched, but that was launched late last year, and we just picked up um, one of our biggest subscribers, which is Dish Network. We just began launching on Dish at the end of March. So we are now actively out there going and, and spreading the news about Familia.
0: What does Discovery in Español cover in terms of your overall programming?
1: Well, the great thing about Discovery in Español is it's the best of Discovery. So we take programming, both original and non-original productions, from all of those networks I previously mentioned, military channels, science. So it's really the best of the best for, Spanish language, um, for, Spanish speaking, uh, for a Spanish-speaking audience. And that's really what sets us apart and makes us different. In addition to that, we have many original productions that air. We take programming from our sister companies in Latin America and also create our own U.S. Hispanic um, productions. Some of them have been um, Objetivo Norte, which was in an Emmy-nominated program about um, people coming across the border and their experiences. And then we also had... Um, A few others that have been Voices de Cambio, which featured Santana and and Edwards James Malmos and their experience as Hispanics in the U.S. today.
0: Is all of your programming on Discovery in Espanol in Spanish?
1: Yes, it is. We are 100% Spanish language network, and that's what really makes us different and and allows us to provide um, unique and uh, definitional programming.
0: And what kind of reach does Discovery in Español has? Is it national or international?
1: Um, Discovery in Español is the U.S. operation. And um, we also have Spanish language programming in Latin America, which goes under the name of Discovery Channel. But here in the U.S., it's called Discovery in Español. And we reach about 4 million um, Hispanic TV households of the 12 million that are available. And you mentioned, actually say I should I should actually say twelve plus million that are available,
0: which is a pretty healthy chunk.
1: Yes, absolutely. We're very proud of our distribution.
0: You mentioned that you have original and non-original programming on mm-hmm. Discovery in Espanol. Did I understand correctly?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Mm-hmm. About what percentage of your Discovery in Espanol programming is original content produced for that audience?
1: Well, quite honestly, we look at it as all original, pro- all original programming, and what that means is that because our audience is primarily Spanish-dominant, they're speaking Spanish, and so when they watch it, Man vs. Wild or A Prueba de Todo, it's original to them. They've never seen it before in their native language. So uh, pretty much we look at all of our program as original, but we do have a production arm where we do specials that are specific towards the needs of the Hispanic audience. Like the pro- series that I mentioned, Objective del Norte and Voices de Cambio, etc.
0: Okay, so it, when you're working with non-original content, is it dubbed? Mm-hmm. I think that's what I was trying to understand. Is it? Oh, okay. Is it English language programming that has been dubbed? Or is it uh, Spanish language programming that was specially developed for Discovery in Español?
1: It's a mixture of both. For example, we take original productions from our Latin American team, our our sister companies in Latin America, and then we take the productions from the U.S. So, for example, we don't like to call them dubbed, actually. Um, We have a language reversioning department in Miami, which consists of uh, over 10 people, and we painstakingly go through all of the scripts and hire actors and bring a specific language to our network. So really, again, when the viewer sees Man versus Wild or A Prima de Todo, he's really, really getting, um, getting the true experience from that. And ultimately, too, if you're more of a, b- a bilingual person, you're going to watch it in English or whatever co- language that you're comfortable in. So, for example, I actually watch um, Pesco Mortal, um, *Deadliest Catch, in Spanish. It's easy for me. It helps me improve my Spanish because I'm second-generation Hispanic. And honestly, it's seamless for me. I don't even really notice the difference.
0: What is the correct term? If dubbed is not politically correct, <laughs> what would be the correct term?
1: We like to call it transcreated or
0: um, reversioned. Okay. Transcreated or? Reversioned. Reversioned, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, I will endeavor to use the... uh, the (laughs) Reversioned. And, and, And so tell us a little bit about the new programming in Discovery Familia.
1: Oh, well, Discovery Familia is actually a great opportunity. Um, Discovery Familia it will be in the morning from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. preschool programming. And it will have the most Spanish language preschool programming available in the U.S. today, which is a very exciting opportunity. And we really feel that there's a lot of opportunity for um, both Spanish dominant homes and bilinguals and Hispanics in general to allow their kids to be exposed to um, to the Spanish language. And we all know that primarily if you're growing up speaking Spanish, you start to become bilingual when you enter kindergarten. So we feel there's a great opportunity with... um with the preschool programming in the morning to keep that language alive and various studies, which we can talk about later, really talk about the importance of keeping the language alive and and learning Spanish as a second language. And then from 9 p.m., it's all about the mom, and we're going to have parenting programming and health and beauty programming and travel programming that gives mom an escape after all the preschoolers have gone to bed.
0: So does the programming last all day, or is there a gap in yes, the Yes,
1: it's a 24-hour network. It's a 24-hour network, exactly. So from 6 a.m. to um, 9 p.m., it is preschool programming, and from 9 p.m. until the following 6 a.m. in the morning, it's um, mo- uh, mom's programming. I
0: see. And is mm-hmm. this like the Discovery in Español in terms of the content? Is it a mix of Latin American and U.S. content?
1: Yes, it is a mix. hmm
0: what would you say, on average, is the ratio of that mix, Rebecca? Is it, I don't know, 80 U.S. content, 20 Latin America, or how would you You know, I
1: really it? don't have a programming schedule in front of me right now, and I know that the topic that we're talking about today is Discovery in Español <laughs> so, and the study that we're talking about, so I'd like to be able to keep focused on that. Okay, then let's talk yeah. about the
0: study. In Great. the Discovery in Español study, mm-hmm. you looked at how viewers looked at their own lives. Is that right?
1: Exactly. Um, we know that the discovery in Espanol viewer is distinctly different from, let's say, the broadcast viewer or other networks that are available on Spanish-language cable. And so what we wanted to do in our conversations through focus groups and on you know various other tact um, through nielsen and various other data that we have we know that the discovery in is viewer is different and what we see their differences is they expect more from their their viewing experience they don't look at discovery as um, as a as a guilty pleasure, like maybe, oh, I'm going to watch that novella tonight because I just think it's so great. They look at Discovery in Español as a place where they can learn something, where they can be completely engaged with our programming, and really be informed. And it allows them to find a knowledge base. And that's really what we knew from our heart and what we'd seen in focus groups. But with this particular study, we really wanted to quanti- quantify it and put, for example, um, a quantitative aspect of it, which was an 800-person um, phone survey, And we ultimately wanted to put a face to our viewer, which is the nine ethnographies that we did across the country.
0: What's an ethnography?
1: Okay. An ethnography is essentially the day in the life of your viewer. And a lot of times from a qualitative perspective, we actually go in and we do focus groups and we sit around, you know, we put people in a room and we sit behind a glass mirror and we listen to what they have to say about a set list of questions. In an ethnography, you really follow them around, you spend time with them, you go in their house, you sit in their living room, you open their refrigerator, just depending on what type of study that you're doing. So for this, we really wanted to get into the day-to-day lives of our viewer and understand what what their challenges were, what their hopes were, what their dreams were, and it allows for a perfect experience to do this. We hired a professional photojournalist that took over 3,000 images and over 20 hours of video to help us understand and capture our viewer.
0: So when I go to your website and I see Mm -hmm. the section that says Meet Our Viewer, there's Sandra and Jorge and Jesus, and it tells a little bit about each of them, their age, the number of years they've been in the U.S., their country of origin. These are the profiles that you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. Um, We did nine of them, and we highlighted six on the website.
0: What do you learn from the ethnographies, and how does that relate to the sort of facts and figures category?
1: Well, it really does, in a sense, put a face to those facts and figures. I think in this day and age, we're always driven by numbers and wanting to see the numbers and who beat who and who did what. But this particular way of looking at our viewers, again, puts a face to them and allows us to see exactly how, who and how they are. And it ultimately confirmed what it was that we learned from the quantitative study. So, for example, in the quantitative study, it talked about how our viewers are more engaged. And when you look on the site, MiMundoes.com, you'll see a Dominican viewer um, by the name of Bethsaida. And as we were going through the interview, she says, you know, I have Spanish-language TV on all day, when I'm cleaning, when I'm vacuuming, when I'm doing my household chores, when I'm taking care of my kids. But when I come down to watch TV at night and I turn to Discovery in Espanol, it Español, I give it my full attention. It's something that she focuses on because she wants to take something away from it. It's not just background noise. And that was something that was proven in the quantitative study. And it was just so great that she felt the same exact way that, from the quantitative study. And again, it allows us to, to see a clear illustration of something speaking from that ex- someone speaking from that experience.
0: The audience that you have, according to the findings in the study, mm-hmm. tends to be young. Would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, it's really interesting. The Hispanic um, um, audience in general, the Hispanic population in general, is very young. 64% of them, according to the U.S. Census, is under the age of 34. So by nature of it, I think when we think U.S. or we think general market, we think 25 to 54. When we think Hispanic, it's 18 to 49. And that's our core demographic. 70% of our audience is 18 to 49-year-olds.
0: Does that uh-huh. compare? If you know, not not to put you mm-hmm. on the spot, because no, 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 are- absolutely.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but you know, when I think of Discovery in general, uh-huh. in English, and some of the other channels that you have mm-hmm. on, in the network, I think of older, highly educated adults versus mm-hmm. the guilty pleasures that you were talking about. These are people right. who are looking to enrich their lives. And mm-hmm. so at first glance, it would be my expectation that Discovery in Español would also be reaching a slightly older audience. Were you surprised? Was this surprising to
1: you at all? Um, I think it's really reflective of the Hispanic population. Um, they're not as affluent. as, From census data, we know that the average Hispanic household makes about $35,000 a year those demographics and those SES pretty much tie back to who our viewer is. And that's the same for Univision, and that's the same for um, Telemundo and Telefutura as well. It's it's The demographic is very, very different. Um, You have a lot of, particularly when you're talking um, about Spanish dominance, completely different experiences, whether you're a new arrival and you've only been in the United States for about five years, or maybe you've been in the States for 20 years, but Spanish is still a very, very big part of your life. And what intre- what's very interesting is in the study that it illustrates is, for example, we have a gentleman who was got a degree in electrical engineering. Um, he has opened a um, money transfer business in New York, and he is completely bilingual, but his world is in Spanish. All of his customers, all the people that do business with him are in Spanish. And so he's Ecuadorian, born and raised there, but when he comes down to sit and t- sit and watch TV after a really long hard day, guess what he turns to? He turns to Spanish language television.
0: My question really referred to the age. Mm-hmm. Although this is actually very enlightening as well. You're mm-hmm. saying that they're, they're spending their day perhaps in a bilingual or an English language environment and going home to watch Spanish mm-hmm. language television that's enriching. My question was, though, were you surprised at how young the audience skewed, that even though the Hispanic audience in general is very young, that these consumers would be watching what some would, might consider educational or enriching programs? Was that a surprise for you?
1: No, no. Our viewers are very aspirational, and because of their experience, they're looking—they're looking to to live the American dream, if you will. And so, through our programming, they're able to fulfill those aspirations. Another perfect example from the study was a woman in um, Los Angeles, a stay-at-home mom who manages the apartment building. She didn't wasn't able to finish her high school degree because she started having children. Um, But she'll watch a show like Atlas China or Atlas Mexico or um, Atlas India, and she knows she's never going to be able to go there. But through that programming experience, she's able to see what it would be like. And that again, a very young mother. I think, um, I don't have the site right in front of me, but she's in her 30s. So again, a very young demographic. But it just goes to the, to the quality in the, uh, of our programming that is aspirational and inspirational as well. When you so in answer Ash- to your question, oh, uh, I'm sorry, so in answer to your question, we weren't necessarily surprised by the age of our demographic, because all through the years through Nielsen data, we've known that we were younger. And that Nielsen data is also obviously reflected through the U.S. Census, which knows that the U.S. Hispanic in general is very, is very much younger than the, the average U.S. citizen.
0: Now, you also skewed younger even compared to other Spanish language networks, right?
1: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, a lot more. <laughs> We're actually the number one network that skews adult, um, adult, more adults 18 to 49 than any other network
0: do you think it's because of this aspirational and inspirational aspect that you were referring to?
1: Absolutely, I do. I really do think it is. And I think that if you think about, you know, who our audience is as well, you know, construction workers or teachers or professionals or however it is, is that, they're again, going back to that American, extreme, that American dream experience, um, they really do aspire to, to do something maybe better than what they previously had or maybe better than what their parents previously had.
0: What does that mean in terms of your efforts to reach out to that audience? How does that affect your choices regarding programming and new
1: offerings? Well, the great thing about the content that Discovery Communications as a media company offers is is that those uh, that's what our brand is. Um, we have the planet Earth and the life and and um, The Man vs. Wild, and, and all these shows that allow you to kind of step into a world that you may not be, a, by, may not be into already. And it's, it's a very different, different and unique brand from a general entertainment channel. In the, in the general market, it's you know an NBC or an ABC, and in the Hispanic market, it's a Univision or a Telefutura. By nature of our brand, it's who we are as a brand. We're adventure, we're exciting, we're learning, we're knowledge, and that's who we are as a brand. So whether that be Discovery Channel in the U.S. or Discovery Nest for the U.S. Hispanic market, it's what we do as a network and a communications company.
0: For the doubters out there, there are a lot Uh of folks in the United States who say, well, Latinos who arrive in the United States will be absorbed and they will become part of the melting pot that is America, like all the other immigrants before them, and eventually they're going to lose their language. We know, of course, that a very high percentage of the Latino population is, in fact, either bilingual or English dominant. What would you say to them in light of the success that you're seeing reaching 4 million households, but also in light of the fact that you have a very large, young demographic, how would you answer their skepticism?
1: You know, it's really interesting. Um, One of the other viewers that was um, highlighted on the site um, is uh, a woman who immigrated from uh, Mexico 20 years ago. And her world, again, is very much in Spanish, and she's a homeowner, and her biggest concern right now is to whether her children will be able to keep the language and the culture that goes along with it. And so there, I think there is a real sense in the U.S. today of being proud to be Hispanic. And if you look at my mother's generation growing up in Los Angeles in the Valley, um, it wasn't really all that of a good thing to be Hispanic at the point in time, but I really do think that there's a cultural shift in this country right now. In fact, according to um, a Yankalovich study that was done a couple years ago it, there is a, a, a quote that says, "Is it how do you feel about being Latino or Hispanic? Is it cool to be Hispanic?" and over sixty percent of the respondents said that it was cool to be Hispanic so I think there's a real shift in that today, and I think that people are really looking to preserve looking for ways to preserve their culture. Um, we just were in a an, in a meeting here at Discovery the other day, and uh, a very This is so typical of our audience and who they are. Um, The woman worked at Discovery. She's completely bilingual. Her husband is Spanish-dominant, and the one place that they come together as a family is Sunday nights at uh, at 8 o'clock to watch Discovery Presents. It allows her husband to watch TV in Spanish because he's Spanish-dominant. She's bilingual because she understands it, and she can watch it and enjoy it as well. And their kids who are growing up bilingual also have an opportunity to watch together as a family. So we really feel that um, our programming caters to all of those people and all of those needs.
0: One of the things that you found in the study, if I understand correctly, is that your viewers tend to be hardworking. Would you tell us a little bit about those findings?
1: Oh, it's so amazing. As the woman I was just talking about, Samira in Chicago, um, her and her husband came, as I mentioned, came to the United States 20 years ago, and they started up sort of like doing like a little catering business, and they worked up to 16 to 18 hours a day. Once she became pregnant, um, she became a stay-at-home mom, and she started her own business helping people learn dancing at quinceañera parties. And they recently just purchased their own home. So um, these are very, very hardworking people, again, wanting to live that American dream. And now that her quinceanera business is doing so well, she's expanding that business to do bodas and weddings and and even do like specialty food dishes. If you look on this site, you'll see some of her um, beautiful jello molds that she's making for weddings these days. So it just really does go to the testament of that. Um, I also mentioned um, the gentleman in New York who started his own um, money um, transfer business. And again, incredibly hardworking couple. Um, The things that they went through particularly, I think the business had been around for about five years now, and the things that they went through as we talked in this study that is not actually mentioned online is you know sort of the economic struggle that they've had to go through and the hours that they put in um, when we met him it was a Sunday afternoon and he had his children at home and was taking care of the kids and um, his wife was at the at the business and then they just switched off he would do the late shift and and before they started the business he had two jobs where he worked at the business during the day and then was a driver at night so incredibly hard-working people. And also they really talk about the experiences of, of, you know, of um, the opportunity of working in America and, and being able to have the things that they're able to do by through hard work. Um, another gentleman on the site from Chicago, um, he was um, uh, his brother had already been here. That's Jesus, and he's 28, and he, he works in construction, and his dream is to go back to Mexico someday. And they've already purchased land there and um, he's going to work really, really hard and make as much as he can and then eventually go back home. So it's really, from the study perspective, it's really super one's experience and how different it was. But this common thread of Spanish, Spanish language and culture coming through with everyone.
0: What are some of the reasons that they gave? I know that you said uh, that it was enriching, but would you expand on that a little bit? What are some of the reasons that your study participants gave you for selecting Discovery in Español versus other programming available in Spanish or in English?
1: Right. Well, the one thing is, is that we are uniquely different. Um, we're one of the few factual channels available that um, that they're able to see. Um, and it, it again, it's I think that this this the Discovery brand. Many of them actually, depending on their arrival, had already been familiar with Discovery Channel in Mexico or Ecuador or whatever the case may be. So there was already sort of a built-in brand awareness. Um, but again, what they keep on saying is, it's quality programming that they can't find anywhere else. And that's really the main thing. And um, some of our competitors, our main competitors are actually um, mimicking the programming that we're offering and we're still doing as well or better than them when they even try to take away or give different concepts about our programming. So it's really, I think, a testament of, of, of how strong our content is.
0: Are you observing a growth in your market as compared to past years looking at the year over year growth that you're showing on the website and it looks like a progressive growth. Would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, that's actually something we're very, very excited about. Um, This is uh, in, in first quarter, 2010, we had our highest ratings ever since we were measured in 2005. So not only have we had four uh, years of year-over-year growth, but now we're having our highest ratings ever. And additionally, for the first time ever, we were able to top GalaVision on the weekends. And for us, that was something that we always thought when we started, you know, our team began really putting this together back in 2005. We want to, you know, we want to try to take away from some players that have been in the market, Gala Vision that's been in there for over 20 years, to really make a difference and offer something different. And, and we've just had, again, our highest ratings ever and, uh, and a great big win on the weekends against Gala.
0: And what would you say is the main reason for that, Rebecca?
1: I think a lot of it is, I think, is obviously the quality of the programming, the experience that they get from Discovery. Um, a lot of it is, I think, people are becoming aware um, of, hey, here's this great network. People are actually, we live on a, a digital tier, and people are purchasing those tiers because they can get a lot more than, than just the four broadcasters um, when they go and buy a special cable package. So I think it's awareness, expansion of, of the, off- of the Spanish-language um, pay TV offerings and I think uh, just the viewer saying, hey, wait a minute, I have another choice now. Um, up until five or six years ago, the Spanish-language viewer didn't have very many choices. They had four broadcast networks and one cable network. And I think that not only ourselves, but um, Discovery in Espanol, Fox Sports in Espanol, ESPN, the, Bordes, the ones that are being presently measured, they're seeing growth as well. And again, I think that speaks to the offer, the, the, the diversity of the offering now. The Spanish language P T V viewer now has a choice. And when they're when they're watching T V, they're choosing Discovery in Espanol.
0: It looks like an increasing number of television viewers are watching television programs online. I read a mm-hmm. recent study I think it was a Comscore study that indicates Mm -hmm. that I think it was 70 percent of adults 35 and under, so a very Mm -hmm. young audience, is what they call cross. I think it was called crossover, so that they watch television online as well as on television. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason that they give, of course, is because of the convenience. Are you planning to make your programs available online?
1: You know, I'd rather kind of defer that to our programming department. I'm just the researcher, but of course, we want to offer our programming in any outlet, and we are on iTunes right now. and um, And we understand our the mobility of our viewer. So, absolutely, I'm sure we'll we will consider those things and and start to make that play in the very new fe- in the very new future.
0: Was there any aspect to the study that addressed the issue of technology of your audience or their desire to have the programming available through the Internet or mobile devices?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, like anyone else, I think it really depends on the viewer. I think so, for example, when you look at Jorge um, on the that's highlighted in the study, he will get his feeling from wherever he needs it. He's a mobile guy. He's completely tucked in with technology. And that is really his space. Um, and then if you look at a woman, for example, like Sandra, who's a stay-at-home mom and has her TV in the, live, in the kitchen while she's working all day, um, her experience and her need for that content is different. Um, you know, maybe online for her may be a little bit different. That's something that her kids does, but not necessarily maybe her. So I think, you know, if we even look at our own experiences... Um, I travel a fair amount and there are certain shows that I like to watch that I know that I can watch available online, but for the most part, when I come home on a Thursday night, I'm watching The Office with my husband (laughs) right in front of the TV. So it just depends, I think, on the individual, but definitely our viewers are looking for that and, um, and we'll be able to provide that for them. It just depends on, on, you know, their needs and, and who they are.
0: Would you go over the parameters of the study? I know you talked about Mm -hmm. it a little bit at the beginning, the number of people that were interviewed and Mm -hmm. how long it took you to glean the information and, and analyze it and all of that.
1: Sure. Well, this is pretty comprehensive. It started with focus groups from when we first even re- relaunched the channel and, and just sort of getting engaged with that. So over the last two and three years, we go in and do focus groups across the country, whether that be in North Carolina or Texas or L.A. or New York or New Jersey or wherever it is. So that's sort of our first range. And then late um, late last year, we did the um, per- the 800-person quant study. And then... Um, Actually, that was in 2008. So then last year, in the summer of last year, we started to build the ethnography. And we finished that up, I want to say like late, late September, October, and kind of really gleamed everything. There was a lot to go through. As I said, over 3,000 images and 20 hours of footage. And and um, we spent a lot of time really trying to discern. It. And ultimately, too, going back to that quantitative study, did, did these nine ethnographies m- mirror the results of that. And, and they did. Um, so from there, uh, we went to three cities in, in um, three families, I should say, in New York, Chicago, and L.A., so nine in total. And we spent anywhere from, oh, depending on the family, we were there as many as six, six hours, which was long. <laughs> and so you can imagine the amount of data that came back from that. And then it was just a real process to, to come down and, and, and figure out out uh, probably three to four months to kind of go through everything. And as you know, being in a major corporation, getting approval and getting signed off and everything else <laughs> as to how the story was going to be told.
0: Did you notice any differences in terms of your audience and their preferences or characteristics based on country of origin or geography, meaning what part of the country they live in?
1: Well, again, I think that um, yes and no. I think that, for example, Sandra in Chicago is, is very much into, um, you know, more of the the travel and the the stories of Tletumba, the kind of the mystery shows and things like that, that have a little bit more of a female skew. But she really wasn't any different than Bethsaida in New York because she liked those kind of mystery shows as well. So I think that maybe it's more of a male-female preference as opposed to a country or a country of origin or a location in the U.S.
0: And... Tell us a little bit about that um, Mm -hmm. difference between men and women viewers, if you would.
1: Definitely. Um, the, it's very interesting. Um, when we first launched the network, we were skewing kind of 60-40 um, male-female, so you could really see that there was a really strong male component to our audience. And now we're seeing shifts of like 55-45, where they're really coming together a little bit more. And um, we do offer a variety of program that appeals to everyone. You know, maybe the average woman on a Saturday may not want to watch our turbo programming or the shows that are a little bit more... Um, Tech and mech, if you will, technical and mechanical. But she certainly wants to watch um, uh, the, like I mentioned, the mystery shows and and some of the female programming, the de- um, the female programming that we have on the weekend. And the great thing about it is there's lots of programming that the whole family can come together in. And that was where we have our sort of Discovery Perfect sense blocks on Sunday nights, and our um, wildlife into the wild programming on the weekdays, Monday through Friday um, at 8 o'clock. So there's lots of things about our prog- uh, about our programming lineup that offer something for everyone as well as offering something that's uniquely male or uniquely female.
0: What was the surprise in the study or in the findings of the study or the, the process? What, what weren't you expecting that was surprising?
1: You know, the thing that really struck me is I knew that our audience was hardworking I just didn't know how hardworking they really were, you know, and I think, you know, everyone's experience is different, but it was something that in this sort of sense of progress. So for example, that Saida in, um, in New York, um, she came to the United States at 17 with her young son, um, single mother by herself and, um, her son is now going to college. And to hear her tell her story about that and tears well up in her eyes, it's just unbelievable. It's something that she never thought that was obtainable for herself, but now she's able to pass it on to the next generation. So that was was really touching for me. Or um, one person who's not highlighted on the site, um, he is in Chicago and has four children and works two jobs so that his wife can stay at home and raise the kids. And I thought that was incredibly amazing as well, that he wanted, he wanted his wife to be able to have that opportunity to be with her kids, and, and he was willing to sacrifice for that. And um, Sandra, the other woman that we talked about, just the ability and the dream of, of, of being a homeowner, it was something they'd worked really, really hard for, and now they have this wonderful home in Chicago, and the pride and um, her excitement as she tour, you know, gave us the tour around the house it was just great. It was really, it was wonderful. It was a really amazing experience.
0: Now, I've heard you mention New York and Chicago mm-hmm. and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but I haven't heard you say anything about Florida or mm-hmm. Texas, which, of course, yep. are uh, important Hispanic uh, states.
1: They're huge markets big- for us. <laughs> Absolutely. And those are pretty much our staple for focus groups markets. And um, this is the first time we've ever really done out, done out an ethnography, and as you may or may not know, they're very expensive to do. <laughs> and so we needed to be able to do as centrally located as we can, and is and, and to be able to get in and out of the market. So we decided that we would start with New York, LA, and Chicago for our first um, for our first foray into this. But we definitely know the the importance of Miami and uh, Texas and. Ultimately too, let's not forget about some of those emerging, what they call the U.S. Census called hypergrowth Hispanic markets, the North Carolinas, the Oklahomas, and we've been to those places in our focus group studies. We just decided to kind of focus in on our kind of, ultimately too, we looked at the Nielsen data and said where are our, where is primary where our audience is? where do they, the majority of our audience was, and those are in those three major cities with the Texases and the other, other um, markets coming out below that. So for this round, um, we've we, we focused on the top three, but I can guarantee you we will be back <laughs> doing something different down the road in somewhere else.
0: So that those other, what is it, 47 states don't
1: feel left out. Yeah, completely. And I don't want to leave them out because I I keep on saying (laughs) it it will definitely happen. And, again, we're not leaving them out. We visit them regularly when we do our focus groups. And I have been to Houston and Dallas and San Antonio and North Carolina and Miami and (laughs) every place in between um, from a focus group level. But for this ethnography, we decided to focus on the top three.
0: Now, what about Puerto Rico? Does that fall under your U.S. programming, or do you consider that part of Latin America? That
1: is Latin America for our corporation. Yeah, that falls out, uh, under Latin America.
0: Now, you talked about the future. What did you learn from the study, and let's see, in a, in a summary way, and how is that affecting your plans for the future, if at all?
1: Oh, it's it's definitely affecting us a lot. This sort of, um, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, this sort of wanting more from us um, and, and expecting more from us as a network. And, and that definitely came through, and, and we get that. And I think that when we have programs like Life, that's another example of our commitment to here's something more, here's something different. Here's So that's a continual development process for us. So... Um, we, we will never be able to sit on our laurels, I guess, if you will, <laughs> because we have a very demanding audience, and the great thing is is that we have a company and the p- things in place to be constantly able to deliver that to them.
0: In terms of the audience themselves, because you've made mm-hmm. the findings of the study available uh, through the website, mimundoes.com. Mm-hmm. What kind of a reception have you had? Have, have people been sharing feedback with you, colleagues, the audience? Uh, what are they saying?
1: Absolutely, this has been a tool that we've been able to give to our advertising team, and they've been sharing it with their um, with their clients, agencies, and clients. And we've shared it internally with even our own company to say, "Hey, listen, this is who we are, and this is, is this is our audience." And so it's been a great experience, and we've gotten incredible feedback. We've gotten wonderful press from it, and um, and it's, think that it's it it is just a a great thing to do.
0: Do you commonly do that when you do research to share your findings on a website or with your audience and agencies or was this a special situation?
1: Um, I think it really depends on the study and, and ultimately what we're trying to understand you know if we're going out and and trying to really Um, manipulate our programming grid or or do something like that, we're definitely going to probably keep those results to ourselves. Um, But in a particular instance like this, when when we wanted, again, to put a face to our viewer and really sort of um, qualify the quantitative, I guess, if you will, um, this was a perfect vehicle to be able to do that.
0: Are you planning additional research for this year?
1: We're always planning research. (laughs) Thankfully, because that helps me in my job, definitely. Some job security there for sure. Yes, absolutely. The wonderful thing about Discovery as well, at least for me personally from a researcher, is that it's a company that believes in it and understands it and, and, and embraces the the research aspect of it. So yes, we will definitely be having things up. We've got some things in the works right now, which we're very excited about, which I can't share right now. But absolutely, there will be more. You will not hear from us. (laughs) This will be the last you hear from us.
0: (laughs) This won't be. This will not be. No, absolutely not. Okay, so you'll keep us posted.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Rebecca, in light of the study and of course Mm -hmm. of your work and knowledge as a researcher, what suggestions would you share with our listeners who are, and we have a very broad spectrum in our audience, but for those people who are interested in learning from what you have learned and want to better understand and better serve this Spanish-dominant U.S. audience, what suggestions would you share with them so that they can be more effective in their efforts?
1: I think the big thing is is to go out and meet them individually. Um, a lot of the times we get honed in on sitting behind a mirror in a focus group or going through reams and reams of Nielsen and um, Simmons data and whatever other internal you know mechanisms we have to measure our audience. But I think it's really important that we go out and meet them. And whether that be, you know, a festival in San Antonio or a book fair in Los Angeles or, you know, the blessings of the animals in, in Oliveira Street in L.A. or the um, Hispa- uh, Mexican parade in, um, in Chicago or wherever those are or whatever, you know, Cinco de Mayo Festival in North Carolina um, to go out and meet them. To go out and, and to introduce yourselves and to, and to listen to their stories. And, and I don't think you really get that unless it's one-on-one and in person.
0: Now, that doesn't have to be in the form of a, an, an ethnography, tongue Not at all. For
1: mm-hmm.
0: those who don't have the very big budget and are working on mm-hmm. a tight budget, they could still mm-hmm. just go out and, and meet some of their customers,
1: right? Oh, absolutely. I think a great place is, the, as I mentioned, the Mexican Day Parade in Chicago every year in September. Thousands and thousands and thousands of, of people go out and celebrate that day. The Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York, huge event. And, and, um, and it's very easy to strike up a conversation. I think, as we all know, Hispanics have a tendency to be super friendly. <laughs> and uh, I think that anyone, just going up and asking anyone, would be open and, and uh, want to share their story.
0: Okay, so your recommendation for our audience is that they go out and meet their, their customers and their clients if they haven't already done so.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's, it, I think it's the best way to get to know them. And, and sometimes it can be as structured as an ethnography, I don't want to say as structured, but um, as set up as an ethnography or a simple conversation when you're um, in a target.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Rebecca, for joining us from Miami, Florida.
1: And thank you so much for having
0: me. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Rebecca Tellez-Higgins, who is Director of Research at Discovery Network's U.S. Hispanic Group, who discussed the network's Mi Mundo Es Español study. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you... Or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at Hispanic That's editor at Hispanic dot com. Let me just